Welcome to SDSPA's 2023 podcast season. I'm your host, Laura Kaler. South Dakota Specialty Producers Association is made up of growers, consumers, and others interested in producing, marketing, and supporting South Dakota specialty crops, meats, and locally made products. This podcast is made possible through a specialty crop block grant SDSPA received through the SD Department of Ag and Natural Resources. This season, our podcast theme is Grown Here, how South Dakota producers are growing their specialty crops. Today, we are talking with two growers from opposite corners of the state who have a similar focus of not only growing healthy foods, but doing so in a way that is organically certified. Angela Jackson of Prairie Sun Organics in Vermilion and Bernadette Barneau with Owl Creek Organics in Nisland will be sharing with us about what it looks like to be an organic specialty crop producer in South Dakota. Angela and Bernadette, thank you so much for joining us today. To get started, can you give us a picture of what your farm and business consists of? At Person Organics, we have a very diversified farm. So we have a large, uh, as far as our, our cropping systems go, we have a large high tunnel that's like a 26 by 100 uh, high tunnel. So we grow seasonally in the high tunnel about nine months out of the year. We also have a large outdoor garden area. Um, that we harvest from during uh, seasonally. And then we also have row crop production or large field production that allows us to do a larger volume, uh, especially production of a variety of different things. We also have berries and fruits um, and a variety of different livestock on the farm that kind of provides a holistic system for us and uh, the ability to recycle nutrients. Very cool. Well, I'll go, I guess. Um... That's awesome, Angela. Um, our farm is, we, um, I've, it's kind of evolved over the years. I used to be, um, just in the vegetable, like I would, I had a market garden, but now it's evolved from, I have a smaller market garden where I still sell zucchini, tomatoes, um, herbs mostly, but I also do a lot of pollinators and, um, those are left for the honeybees to, uh, gather nectar and pollen from all throughout the summer. I don't harvest any of the flowers. Um, and so, yeah, like ours is more, um, that type of farm. And then also I do jams and, um, honey and the jams are made with organic fruits that I actually order out of Washington. I am looking at more local. So Angela, I would be interested more in what you have to offer possibly if you do sell, and um, so I order organic fruit to make the jams and then the honey I produce on our place. So that's kind of what we specialize in. Um, like I said, it's kind of evolved over the years. My mom does raise and sell organic eggs as well. They're not certified organic, but the chickens are fed all organic feed. Um, we don't sell them as organic, but um, they are technically like they're fed all organic. Thanks for providing those foods for South Dakota. Can you briefly tell our listeners and myself, I think I've got more to learn on the topic, what it means to be an organic certified vegetable farm and what that process looks like in South Dakota? Well, I guess I can start start off by saying that probably the three things that if, if somebody's getting into organic vegetable production that they need to think about is the number one is inputs. Um, every input uh, when you're a certified organic producer, all of your inputs have to be reviewed before you use them on the farm. So there has to be a lot of pre-planning early on in the process of what nutrients you're going to use and how you're going to do that. And then you also have to have testing of your soil to determine 
know, if you're using certain micronutrients in the soil, you do have to have soil testing done to provide evidence as to why you're using certain nutrients in your soil. So there's a lot of pre-planning that goes goes into that. And the second thing to that is the record keeping, just all the record keeping that goes into sourcing of your seeds. You know, you have to use organic seed. If you use organic seed, you have to have a seed search documented that you couldn't get that variety. Just a lot of a lot of record keeping and paperwork. So there's a lot of advanced planning with organic. You can't just wait to the last minute and say, oh, I'm going to go plant an organic garden. It doesn't work like that. So you have to have your seed sources laid out ahead of time, your inputs laid out ahead of time. You have to also know the market that you're selling into. So the third thing is um, we sell a lot through our local Hy-Vee store. And uh, we have developed relationships with retailers and restaurants, and that's where we really like to sell. It's so much easier than, and through our website, um, but we do farmer's market, but we sell, we don't sell as much at farmer's market. We focus more on retail restaurant. Um, and we found that to be a very successful uh, for us. And so that's just, yeah, not going to hog the mic. So I'm going to turn it over and maybe you have something to add to that. <laughs> That's very cool, Angela. I feel like um, that is like, you got to be really well organized to do those, to do, to sell to stores and to restaurants. You have to kind of really plan what you're going to be planting. Um, And I know that they do like the seasonal things, but sometimes they want a consistent supply of something. And that's kind of hard to supply with. But um, I think I just will add a little bit onto that. I think you do have to keep really good records. And then I kind of search high and low for organic seed. Like I know you can do it not certified, you know, like buy non-certified organic seed, but you do have to do a lot more paperwork. So that's something you have to think about if you are going into it. Um, and then ours, another thing to add, like what we do as a practice, my parents have cattle and stuff and we spread just organic manure, like in the, I mean, in the fall, and then it sits throughout the year. And that's, and like you said, you have to really keep good documentation. Otherwise the certifier is just going to have a heyday with you. But, um, but yeah, as long as you keep good records and know the rules, I, I'd say it's worth looking into what are the rules of organic production? Cause you'll have a lot easier time getting certified. I feel like keep a good journal log, what you do, like when you start your plants, in the spring, um, you know, if you use high tunnels and stuff, keep track of all the, you know, the plastic, if you use black plastic to put down plastic, if you put it on your hoop house, but, but yeah, honestly, I, I just enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I don't really have a lot more to add to that. I think Angela hit that pretty well. So. So while you were going through that, a lot of things came into mind that I never would have considered your organic status. Where did you learn those things? What resources do you recommend? Well, I I have to say the was called Moses. Now it's called what is it called now? I think there's they changed their name and I always forget what it is now. The conference of the cross. Marble so, seed. Marble seed, thank you. So Marble Seed was huge for me. Like I went to their conferences every year and that was like my favorite thing to do. And I would just go to a lot of organic conferences, the Iowa organic conference. So for me personally in South Dakota, we don't have a lot of resources. So I went to the, I joined practical farmers of Iowa and Iowa got very active in Iowa. I joined the Iowa organic association. I'm a member of the Montana organic association, and I'm a very active member of Moses. I agree with you hundred percent. That's kind of how I got my start too, was Moses just 2015 went to a conference and you get like so many ideas go to a conference first 
What were the reasons that each of you chose to pursue organic? For me, it's a lifestyle. It was, I don't know anything else. Um, I just don't know. I've always farmed organic. I, my father came from a conventional farming background. My grandfather was a farmer and our our family's been farmers for for hundreds of years. Um, I was the first one to break the conventional farming and go organic, but I've been eating organic food since I was like 18 years old. So I don't know. It's a lifestyle. I can't imagine for me personally, it was a health choice. It's like, I want to be healthy and I want to farm healthy. And, and then when I decided I wanted to make it a business at the, it, though it was, it's economically viable, right? I realized I could get more of a premium for my product than, and it differentiates, differentiated in the marketplace. So there were marketing reasons and there were obviously financial reasons that our family made the decision. Eventually my dad got on board. He wasn't always on board at first. He's like, this is hard work. He didn't like pulling weeds by hand, <laughs> but uh, it was, it was something we decided to do as a family and it was the right decision. And we're really glad we did it. That's awesome. Um, I, mine came from my dad. Uh, his background is he is French and like in his part of France, his family is very big into organics. Um, and my dad became an organic inspector in 1999. And we just have been, I mean, since then, like we buy organic just to support the organic industry sometimes. Like, yeah, sometimes an organic can of olives is a dollar more and we we can't produce stuff like that. But we're like, you know what? Every bit that you spend um, or produce supports the organic industry. Like whether you're buying seed to start your garden, whether you're, you know, buying food that you can't produce that time of year. It's, we just always focus on organic. And, and like Angela, I'm just really a health fanatic and I, I want to feed my body stuff that has no chemicals. So that's kind of where it came from. Why do you feel it is important to be organically certified rather than just following those practices without that certification? There's saying that you're organic and then there's the organic seal. And to me, unless something has the USDA organic seal, I don't believe it's organic. So like organic and and for some people, it's very important. So it is for me. Um, It's an integrity thing. Uh, The certification is just a like it's a verification that you are using all organic practices without chemicals. Um, And yes, it is a harder way, but it's also a better way. I'm like Angela, I'm of the belief that I think it's kind of the the way of the future. Like, I don't think chemicals are sustainable. So it is also for me, the use of the seal. And I, I feel like also I support the seal. I support what the seal stands for. And I want to promote the seal in the marketplace. And, and so everywhere I go, I, I talk about the importance of looking for products that ha- carry the seal because of the guarantee. I mean, we're all, we have to go through it you know, annual audits and inspections. We're held to high, high, high standards. Um, the organic rules are not easy to follow and for a reason. <laughs> yeah, I imagine there's many producers that say they, they follow organic techniques without being certified that mean well, and that's, you know, they're working towards that, but maybe without recognizing it, they're actually missing the mark on a few things. I basically think that it's kind of like being and this is kind of comparing something like a certified teacher to someone that's not certified. It's like, you just can't say that you're certified organic when you're not. And it, it, you know, we pay to be certified organic because it does hold you to a higher standard. 
your vegetables are um, grown without chemicals and it's like, it's just verified. So yeah. Yeah. You hit a very good point there. You hit the word. It's verified. It's verified that what we say it is, it really is. Have you guys noticed any difference in things like your soil since switching to organic? Yes. And I'm going to add, this is where I'm going to kick on the regenerative piece. So we were farming uh, organic and we were on a four crop rotation and we were doing a lot of tillage and it was just tearing our soils up. And we're like, hey, we got to stop this. If something is, we got to change this. We went regenerative and that, we went regenerative organic, which is even, uh, has even stricter roles, especially for protection of pollinator habitat. Um, So for us, yes, we we saw prolific growth in, in, in animal habitat. I don't know how to describe it, but especially pollinator habitat, um, my, beautiful songbirds and just beautiful butterflies. It's, everybody's like, we don't see those on our place. It's, they all come into our place and they hang out at our place all the time. So it's the beauty of, of the diversity of life. And then in amongst that, when I talk about soil health, um, when we started bringing animals onto the land and we started doing a whole cycle nutrient balancing system, instead of just doing crops without the animals, we weren't doing it right. When we went regenerative and we decided we're going to integrate animals into our system and we're going to stop tilling the soil and do like no till minimum till it was night and day difference. Our, our, our organic matters just off the chart, just soil health, microorganisms, our soil analysis is the best it's ever been in years um, when we decided to make that change three years ago. But that's exciting for your dad too, that's to see that he took the jump of going with these changes and now his land is being preserved in that way. Yeah. Unfortunately, my dad passed away oh. a few years ago, so he wasn't able to see this next big mm-hmm. leap. My dad was there with us though to the very end. He was actually with us for our last corn harvest and he didn't, you know, he didn't get to see this next level. Uh, and we just really felt like we were doing a lot for the land, but we wanted to do more. And so going regenerative was, was the next step. And, and we're so glad we did. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Um, we are, we do the same, like we, I mean, my dad has fields that um, haven't been redone in like 15 years, 20 years, because, you know, I mean, the alfalfa keeps coming and like, like Angela said, the pollinators that you get, like last summer, I saw a hummingbird moth that I've never seen before. And like bumblebees, like every kind of species. And, um, I just feel like, um, we've never done anything different to be honest. So soil health, it's based on, yes, like, you know, bringing animals onto your place after the field, the hay has been taken from the ground, the animals come back in and put, um, put manure on naturally. And then you till it or, um, no, well, my brother, um, what is it called? He, he uses a harrow. So it's technically not tilling it, but he does it to break up the manure in, in the, in the spring. And so, um, yeah, we don't do a lot of like redoing fields. And if we do, it's like one every literally five to 10 years. So then there's all of, um, all of the others that don't, they're never really redone. And I recently bought 25 acres that there's never anything done to it. Like there's literally the only thing that I might possibly do as a garden. And that's going to be the only soil that's disturbed there. So, but the soil is definitely, I mean, there's just so many things in the soil that I need, I need to learn more about it, but it's like, 
microorganisms. And there's so many in organic soil that it's, it's just crazy. So, I mean, there's no way to, um, it just is a little bit sad that people are using chemicals to like destroy them because, you know, it's something you can't replace or it takes years to bring it back. Is there anything else that you've noticed that have been these awesome things that have happened on your farm, or I guess if you're not making the change, but just things that you recognize on your farm that other farms don't have because of your organic practices? I'm going to, I'm going to echo also pollinators. I mean, we, we, we have species of bees and butterflies and, and hummingbirds and, and songbirds that nobody else sees around. And they're, they're wondering how, how, how is this? And so we're just, it's this beautiful place of diversity. They just naturally come because they know it's safe. They know that like, they just know instinctively know that we don't use toxic chemicals. And so everything on our farm is pollinator friendly. So they can come in. It's like a plethora. And we have a lot of bees on our farm. We have a a neighbor who's a a beekeeper and all, where do all of his bees go (laughs) on our farm? (laughs) And we're glad that they do because they pollinate our fruit trees they pollinate our berries. And I mean, it's a mm-hmm. beautiful a, symbiotic relationship. It's a great neighbor relationship right. when you can both benefit from the way that you're raising things. And Bernadette, you probably noticed the same on your farm with your honey. I have. There's, um, I have. And, and there's even been research shown, like um, there's been plants that have been dormant for just a long time and bees will bring them back to like production. It's crazy. Like, but yeah, I have noticed a lot and my, you know, bees are good for alfalfa too. You get higher production yields with bees. So yeah, that's awesome that you have that Angela. And I, I really enjoy it because honeybees are something that are very interesting to me as well. So if someone is wanting to see those advantages on their own farm and give organic a try, what are some produce items or plants that you recommend they do try starting off or some maybe that they need to hold off on? And that can be a little trickier. I always, when, when I'm talking to farmers that are interested in getting organic, the first thing I tell them to do is go into alfalfa. There's the easiest way to transition a bare piece of land is to first put it into alfalfa. And that's what we did when we bought our land. Um, it was in alfalfa. Um, it was a, it was a blank field and, and it was the best choice for us. Um, it is, it is a revenue, it's a revenue pull a little bit. The first couple of years, you'll have to plan for that, but you'll get it back. You're going to reap the rewards that first year. Oh, let me tell you, our yields on our corn and soybeans after that were twice what everybody else was getting. And, and so there's a pullback, right? Those initial couple of years, but you'll get it back. You, when you get that first harvest, you'll be able to go into the bank going, oh yeah, I love this. <laughs> because we made twice as much we made up for is what I'm trying to say. You're going to make up for it because you're going to make twice as much money. So most of ours is already alfalfa fields, but for me, as far as vegetable production, some of the easiest things to grow, it just depends on what you put into it. And I like, like Angela said, I would go to the Moses before you even start just, just cause you'll get so many ideas, but, um, zucchini and cucumbers are super easy and tomatoes are are decently easy, but depends on the variety that you get. A bush tomato isn't going to require as much maintenance as like um, an indeterminate that has, you know, you have to like trim it all the time or prune it. I mean, Um, plum trees and cherry trees are going to be very easy, you know, to, I mean, as long as you water them often and it's all 
like you said, going to depend on the soil and like the nutrients that are in the soil for anything that you're growing, you're going to have to have nutrients there. Um, I mean, I've had pretty good luck with just about everything. The only things I'm trying to think like eggplants are tough for me to grow. So are, um, carrots and any like root vegetables because the soil where we live is, it's a little bit more of a clay soil. So even built up and with put into the ground and sitting, it's tough to get those, um, to grow. Now, my brother who lives near the river in Belfouche, has way better soil. He has insanely big carrots and, and he grows all of these organic, but, um, that is gonna, you, you might want to get your soil tested before you even start organic, because then you'll know kind of where you're at and what, what you can do kind of with it. Like zucchini seem to grow on the worst soil. Um, so you can grow those at any, anywhere. Um, but there's a lot of things that require a little bit more. So I would get your soil tested, to be honest. That's what I would do for gardening. Like getting the seeds can be a little tricky. Um, what considerations do you need to have when purchasing seeds and starting them with organic? Well, I can speak from, from the perspective of person organics. We, we start, you know, like most folks, we have certain vendors that we are partial to because we know that the seeds are, the seeds grow in our region. And um, there are certain vendors we've ordered seeds from that we weren't, weren't as successful. I'm sure Bernadette can share the same experience. So mm-hmm. we just keep going back. Once you have a relationship with the seed vendor and you know their seeds work for your soil, you just keep going back. And you, and you also, mm-hmm. I test diff, different varieties. Sometimes I find a variety that works with our soil. I just do it the same variety. I don't mess around with you know, cause I'm, I'm, I'm selling into retail and, and I have a con a lot of times, not a contract, but an expectation of delivery. And so I can't really sometimes, oh, I'm going to try a new variety this year and see how it goes. I'm very risk averse. Once I find something that works, I tend to stick with it and perfect it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will add to the last thing. So like with organic production, you'll get pests because, um, just because you do, you, and, um, so I just say, rotate your crops every year. But I, I am the same as Angela. I kind of stick with the people that I have had luck with. There's a place in North Dakota and I believe it's Dakota. I can't remember the name of them now. It's Prairie something. It's organic seed and their seed is proven to grow like in the Dakotas kind of. So like that has been very, um, I've been very successful with those seeds and they sell on a very pretty small scale. You can get bigger amounts of seeds from like Johnny's seeds and those have done okay. I mean, they've done well for me overall, but um, the ones out of North Dakota have been the better ones for me because their stuff is proven to grow in, in the Dakotas. So I've, I've just had a lot of luck with them and I kind of stick with them. So. Makes sense that buying from within the region would have better luck. Okay. And my next question is super generalized because I'm sure that each uh, crop is going to be a little bit different. But what are some different techniques and things that you're using throughout the growing season with your specialty crops that are organic? Okay, so one of the things that I have run into numerous times that I've had conversations with is um, seed starting. So we do we do not buy transplants. We start all of our seeds in our own custom greenhouse. We have a, a hot house that we use. So we'll start our seeds in the hot house. We're getting ready to do that pretty quick here. And we use an OMRI approved uh, soil starting medium, which is also approved by our certifier. And so 
Um, I have seen more times than not, people do not use, they just go to Walmart, buy some miracle Grow potting mix and decide to start their seeds and find out that, oh, guess what? None of these, none of these products can now be sold as organic because I used um, a starter that wasn't approved. So um, starting them, we start by transplants and we do direct sow some um, seeds and we're pretty homes. We, we sow by, by hand, we transplant by hand. We use black plastic for our, some of our cucurbits and our vining crops. Um, it helps um, to get them started. I know that the plastic isn't sustainable, but I also, they have, I haven't found a really good biodegradable mulch that I'm super happy with right now. Um, so I just use the plastic and then remove it. I've tried to buy compostable plastic as much as I possible. I do too for the cucumbers. Like they, you almost can't get them to produce in our area without it because I don't know if it just doesn't get hot enough or what, but yeah, when you use the black plastic, it does. And it is, or I mean, it is organic as long as you pull it up every year. Um, but yeah, like I agree. Go ahead, Angela. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. I, I, and I, so I think that, the, that you, what we try to do is, is, um, try to cut down on the labor by being very weeds get out of control very fast in the spring with when you're not using, uh, you have no options in the toolbox with herbicide sprays. However, you talked about tools in the toolbox. We do use, uh, in some cases we use a vinegar salt spray in a bottle. And we also, uh, for some of the weeds, um, to spray right on the weeds. And then we also have a flame burner that's extraordinarily effective. I love that thing. It's my little burner torch and I carry it around doot, 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 and hit, hit all of them. We'd use it. We go through a lot of, it's not, again, propane, not sustainable, but so is my back medical bills. My going to the chiropractor is, you know, the medical bills going to a chiropractor is not either. So we have to balance it out. Um, but weed control is, is huge. You've got to get ahead of it because if you don't stay on top of it, you will have yourself a lot of work down the road. Um, so I don't know if that answers your questions. A pre-plant, I could talk about mid-plant all the way harvest, but I think once the plants are up and growing, making sure that you're, you're checking them every day, you're ahead of the bugs, ahead of the weeds, you got to stay ahead, not behind, Mm -hmm. but ahead of everything and always be planning, um, for what's going to come, not reactionary, response to a problem like fungus and stuff, but trying to be more proactive by using companion planting and just daily observations of your plants. You just have to be Mm -hmm. way more involved with your, Mm -hmm. with what's going on uh, in the garden. I agree. And the OMRI approved label for like starters, all you have to do is look for that OMRI approved like soil, you know, and that's, Mm -hmm. and then you're okay. And, and you'll find one that works for you or for your starts, but yeah, that's something that people don't really think about is they just buy whatever. And it's like inorganic production, you have to have that OMRI approved label or you can't use it. Um, and then I'll just add on the weeding part, I'm kind of like Angela, stay ahead of it. If you don't stay ahead of it, your production will be very little. You won't get as much. Um, you'll lose the plants in the weeds, just speaking from experience. Um, and yeah, I actually have a small cultivator that was like 350 bucks, I believe. And I just go between the rows until the plants are too big that you can't do that anymore. And it usually, it works pretty well. So everyone has something that works for them. But when you get to harvest, what are you doing differently to harvest and prepare your vegetables for sale? 
we don't really do like a like um I used to be meticulous about washing like lettuce and everything, but to be honest, people are going to wash it again. Anyways, I say the minimal you do to them, the better. And, um, I mean, if there is dirt, just kind of like brush it off. And, uh, that's, I mean, we don't like, I harvest the morning of farmer's markets and I only sell the farmer's markets on the produce. So. Yeah, we have a whole kind of a much higher level thing going on. We have insurance requirements and retail requirements that our vegetables have to meet food safety requirements. And uh, we have a very stringent, um, uh, you know, I've done my gap training. I've also have had HACCP training. I've had a lot of food safety training, SQFs training as well. Food safety is a number one priority on our farm. And so we make sure everything is meticulously clean. We pack and clean boxes. Um, we sell usually in bulk, bulk cucumbers, bulk tomatoes. Um, everything is sold in bulk as much as possible. We don't pre-label, um, you know, attach stickers to things. We don't, we used to individually sticker every tomato. We don't do that anymore. Um, the grocery store will take care of that. So we don't do PLUs on anything anymore. We just sell in bulk in uh, new clean uh, uh, boxes. Um, everything is invoiced. Everything's clearly labeled as organic on our invoicing. Um, we do a complete, we have a system that's completely traceable by PLU number from the store all the way back to the field that it was harvested from. Right. And see, that's like a really high up system. It's like, what is your goal in organic production? It's like, if it is selling to retailers, then yes. Like, but if it is just to farmer's markets, I mean, food safety is number one. But with farmers markets, people expect that you're just going to be picking it. And like a lot of like, I sell like zucchini, cucumbers, like larger vegetables. And yeah, they are clean of any dirt. But, um, you know, people know that it's, you know, it's being sold at the farmers market. Um, I don't really sell lettuce as much anymore, things like that. But I agree. It's, it kind of depends on your goal. Like, what is your yes. goal in producing organic? Yes. Like, are you going to be selling to retailers? If you are, then yes, you need to go through that whole system. Like Angela has developed, like, I mean, PLU stuff, that is a lot of work. And I know, I mean, but it just depends on what, what is your goal? Um, you can make a lot at farmer's markets. You can make way more. I know doing it Angela's way, but it just kind of depends on what, what are you shooting for? So. Yes. So you need to look at your target market and you also need to look at your finances. We took out an FSA microloan. Mm -hmm. We have an obligation to a lender. We have to report with financial reports to FSA every year. We have to have, you know, go over our finances with them. We work closely with FSA on, on many different levels, but if you're, if you're in this for the money and you've, you've taken out money and you're, you know, you've taken out loans, you're going to have a banker that you're going to have mm -hmm. to be to answer to. And he's not going to like, Oh, you're not making any money. So that's, <laughs> that's not good. Yeah. So you have, See, to and have I'm, I'm working, I'm, I'm working on the PLU system. I'd actually like to talk to you about it, but mine is more with like my jams and honey and I already sell them to retailers, but right now I don't have the PLU for them. And these are smaller retailers that I keep track of the sales meticulously on, um, Microsoft words and all that. And I, and I do like keep track of everything I sell, but I have not gotten the PLU yet. Cause it is expensive to get that. Is, am I correct? It's about a thousand dollars. Yeah. We purchased ours many years ago. We have a full set okay. for, for, we have hundreds of them. 
And we were, I, okay. I was on it years ago. I bought, set up all this technology and all of our PLUs years ago, you know, knowing mm-hmm. the direction I, I wanted to take my company into schools, into daycare centers, into high V. Mm-hmm. That was my goal from day one. So when you're planning your farm, mm-hmm. you kind of need to say, what is my goal? I like retail mm-hmm. because I can sell it all at one time. I can deliver it. They take everything I got. They take the seconds and put them on the salad bar. And it's a mm-hmm. lot less, uh, less loss for me. That's very, that's very cool. Congratulations. Cause that's very hard to do. That is not an easy task. So I will say. <laughs> I imagine another difference between your farms might be some with the geography of having labor that you can hire to help as well. And maybe I'm wrong, but I'm assuming um, Angela probably has more people available to hire through the growing season to help out with some extra tasks to free up her time. But well, we live in a college, we live near a college town, and and we do have a blessing of having a, a community who's very supportive of, of organic agriculture and organic farming, and who purchase organic. So, yes, and in that regard, we have been very blessed. Um, of having, although the labor is very tight, we do have access to a fairly good labor market out of Sioux City um, and also uh, because of the college. Yep. Okay. Nice. So, yeah. Mine is so far. Go ahead. Mine no, is so far still, it's just, just me. Like, I don't, you know, like I haven't gotten into like hiring yet. And so, like, I think I'm still exploring kind of like I'm learning more and more where I want my. Um, business to go kind of, it's very useful um, for you, Angela, that you knew kind of like in the beginning, what you wanted to do. Sometimes you just start like, and I'm just talking about anybody, sometimes just start and it's like, you just don't know where it's going to go. And some people know exactly where it's going to go and both are fine. What challenges does South Dakota have when it comes to growing food organically? Angela, I noticed that you mentioned you're part of an organization in Iowa and Minnesota and Montana why is South Dakota lacking and maybe what are some things that we can do to support the industry in the state? Okay. Number one, we do really need to be thinking about an organic association for our state. Um, I love joy. I love being a member of what's going on in Iowa and I love what's going on in, in Montana. And I am also a member of the Northern Plains sustainable ag. Um, but South Dakota is unique and we need a presence, I think in Pierre more of a presence and a presence just at SDSU and just all these different places. And I think if we had um, an annual conference and an, an association, which we're trying to get actually a group going through through SPA um, of just, yeah, just being able to bring, just come together and share some of the, the concerns and struggles that are unique to South Dakota. Um, and it's not just our soils. It's not just our climate. It's not just that. I mean, it's it's the people climate. It's some of the challenges that that we have as growers, um, just trying to promote organic and to be able to protect our our way of life, and and not feel like we are, um, yeah. We there's just a lot of misunderstanding. Standing, I think, still about organic agriculture in South Dakota, especially with the Department of Ag. And I think everybody could need a good education on 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 just what, what organic can mean to South Dakota. I gave a presentation a few years ago called um, "What Would It Look Like If One Percent of the Land in South Dakota Was Certified Organic?" 
don't know if you guys ever had a chance to see that presentation. It was phenomenal. So I did all this research and study and if, and, and I actually did an economic impact analysis of what it would look like both intangibly and tangibly to our communities. If 1% of our land was certified organic, it was tremendous. It was absolutely mind-blowing, um, both intangible and tangible benefits it would bring to our state. But to reach a goal like that would mean that all of us collectively, conventional farmers, sprayers, organic farmers, we all need to sit down at the table. And so that's why when I formed the South Dakota Pesticide um, Drift Working Group, that drift is the number one reason why a lot of vegetable producers cannot um, meet their goals. They survive, but they can't meet their goals. And it's a huge problem and we need to address it. Um, we talked about other things and I won't go into, you know, we developed our own certified compost system at our farm. We, we sell compost. We do a lot of really cool things, but um, no matter what we do, if our neighbors keep drifting on us and keep, and we keep losing our organic certification, which you've already lost twice in a row, um, we won't be able to survive. And so we just got our certification back just like a year ago and we can't, and we're ready to get up and going again. But if we get knocked out one more time, I, I don't know if we can recover from that. Our processing plant was shut down for three years and we had a huge loan payment on that. And what do you do with that? So we definitely got to fix this problem. For me, oh it's, drift is important. Yeah, I agree 100%. I had no idea. Well, my dad and my brothers do speak about that drift and things like that. It's, it is a huge problem, but I think you're right, Angela, with forming um, something where it's like going to educate something to educate people that are not organic where, you know, it's not like a threat to people. It is, I don't know, like, I, I mean, like, I think you'd know more about it because you're on those boards, but I just think there's such a misunderstanding with organics and um, a little bit of hostility. A little, I mean, I'd say in some cases, just I'm just speaking from certain neighbors and certain ones are fine. It's just that some, it's like, it's almost like a hostility towards the fact that you don't spray. So we do have a noxious weed called Tory Crest. It's on my parents' place. And, you know, we do need to control it a little better than we have, but the county will like send us letters threatening to spray it without our approval if we don't get it um, under control. And this is land that nothing else grows on it except for, you know, it's just terrible land. It's like very dry um, grass grows a little bit. There's such pressure from the state and the county to spray it. And so, and like Angela, it's like, then you lose your certification, you know? So we almost need a support group for stuff like that. Both of you mentioning the community piece is, I think you're right. I think if through SPA, we can start a group for organic producers to network and provide support. That's a great idea. So if somebody does join SPA, make sure you check the box that you're interested in organic certification or production. So that way we know to connect you with everyone. If somebody's looking to start in organic production, and I'm assuming one of the suggestions you're going to have is going to the conferences. Is there anything else that a producer should do if they're looking at getting started in this route? Get a mentor. I mean, for yeah. me, it's get a local mentor, somebody who's already farming organic in South Dakota that can spend time with you and help you. Right. Either that or go work on an organic farm for an internship or something. Yes, that's what I would say. Yeah. Had either of you worked on organic farms um, prior to starting your own? 
No, yes. I was just, we were, oh, go ahead. I was, I didn't. Yeah, I, we were, I, I did. I had the opportunity to, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. And Bernadette, I suppose growing up that kind of, when you were working from home, that was yeah, organic farm. It, but I, I would recommend working on one because there was so much I could have learned, even though I was raised on one. Like I would recommend working with someone, even if it's for a month, you don't have to do a whole summer or anything, but you know, a week, a month, you know, just to get some ideas. Are there any other thoughts that you want to share with listeners today? Go to a Moses conference. <laughs> Go to a Moses conference. So. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you for our listeners for tuning into the South Dakota Specialty Producers Podcast. And until next time, keep growing.